I mean, when you put all of these stories together, it's just so fascinating. Uh, it's amazing because nobody has ever been able to reconcile these verses for sure. Nobody has ever been able to explain them in a way that makes sense with this mysterious narrative of the crucifixion. So it's just amazing. It's just amazing what you've revealed. How are you, Tiffany? I'm great today. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you again for joining us. Tiffany, uh, today uh, we're going to talk about the concept of the transmigration of the soul. Okay. Okay. And uh, so we spoke about, touched down upon this topic in a previous episode, but just to summarize, Basically, the the idea that most people have with the concept of reincarnation is that, you know, and even those who don't believe in reincarnation, but just believe that we come here and we live one lifetime and we die uh, and we're judged to either go to heaven or hell, uh, they believe that basically at the time of birth, a soul is placed into an individual. Some people believe even that the soul enters into the, into the womb. And then... A person lives his life, and at death, the soul uh, leaves the body and basically goes on to judgment or goes on to a new incarnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but but in transmigration of the soul, what we mean by that is that the soul migrates uh, to a body sometime between the birth of the child and the death. So the possibility or the idea that the soul can enter into a body and leave a body while the body still remains intact or is still alive. So a person might maybe, for example, in his 20s and his 30s, he has no soul, and then the soul transmigrates into him. And then, for example, 10 years later, it might exit out of him. The spirit or soul might exit out of him uh, without the body dying. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty different understanding of how the soul can operate. Um, one that I was much less familiar with until like later in life, you know, I always understood reincarnation. Obviously, it's, it was not a part of the belief system that I was raised in, uh, reincarnation. But I always understood it to be how how the Eastern faiths look at it that it's that it's uh, from birth or even inside the womb that you're born with the soul, and without a soul, uh, you wouldn't even be alive. But the 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 possibility that you could be alive in a body without a soul and it could actually come to you later in life is is an interesting concept it is an interesting concept and and we find this concept uh, uh, that is there in the torah and the bible and uh, that's why we're going to take a special look today at the idea of the transmigration of the soul see examples from judaism and christianity in specific um, that deal or touch upon uh, this this idea or this notion so the first example that we have is the example of King Saul. Okay? Okay. So we have um, Saul, who's the first Israelite king, and basically Saul uh, is appointed by God. 
and uh, he is made king over all of the Israelites, and yet he disobeys God, uh, as did many of the prophets and messengers. They all had mistakes, uh, uh, and Saul uh, has a very big mistake, and that is that God uh, requires from him that he uh, destroys all of the livestock and kill the king of the Amalekites, and yet he doesn't obey God uh, in that. He thinks that he knows better, so he spares them. And for this, God gets really upset mm-hmm. at Saul, and God decides that he's not going to appoint an heir or a successor from the lineage of Saul. And instead, he chooses David, uh, who's the youngest uh, son of Jesse. And God sends his prophet Samuel to appoint David. Um, David uh, defeats Goliath. Uh, the spirit of the Lord rests upon David. Um, and basically, when Saul becomes aware of the fact that David is becoming popular in Israel, and when Saul notices that he's going to be his successor, his heart is filled with envy against David. And he burns on his inside to the point that he wishes to even kill uh, David. And he does a lot of really uh, horrible things to David uh, throughout his life. One of them being that he marries um, he marries his daughter uh, to David um, when actually he was really trying to trick David first in order to kill him. But he eventually marries uh, his daughter to David, and then at some point he rips away the daughter from David and tries to get her married to somebody else. And uh, so eventually uh, what takes place, the Bible says, is that uh, God uh, withdraws his spirit from Saul. The spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. And when it mentions uh, this incident uh, taking place, we don't find that uh, Saul dies at that point. Rather, we find that Saul, uh, the, the, the Torah says that Saul is basically tormented by a demon. Evil spirits or an evil spirit enters into Saul and causes him to have fits of madness and 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 causes him to be depressed and and tortures him. Okay. That certainly explains the the tragic end of Saul's story and it's also really different from the understanding that I grew up with uh which is that the soul and the body are kind of uh, married, that without the soul, you wouldn't even be alive, that the soul has to be there. But it sounds like we have evidence that the soul can actually leave the body and actually a demonic uh, presence can enter the body and and you can still be alive. So the soul and the body are kind of quite different, actually. Yeah, and Imam al uh, he says that the souls of all of the uh, prophets and the messengers and the vicegerents, uh, that uh, all of their souls is a, is a spirit from God. And, and so if one of them would lose their soul, um, they become an empty vessel and uh, immediately uh, evil spirits seek to enter into it or take its place. So mm. when a person... Um, is really good if he loses his soul uh, replaced uh, in exchange for that spirit of God that was in there or that righteous, pious soul that that person had 
would be an evil soul. And this is what took place in the, in the example of Saul. And the, soul, the, the demon that entered into Saul, um, you know, changed obviously his nature. He went from being a good, righteous king in the beginning when he was firstly appointed, uh, fighting on behalf of God, serving God's people, being enforced and blessed by God to being an individual who uh, basically at the, by the end of his life, according to the Torah, he commits suicide, which is a major sin in Judaism. Yeah. Cool. That's very interesting. Okay, so do we have any other examples of people who had uh, a soul and it left them uh, without them dying? Um, uh, yeah, I, I can think of the story of Samson. Yes, so we have the story of Samson. And what's the story of Samson? Uh, Samson is one of the judges uh, mentioned in the Bible and the Jewish scriptures. And he, he's, he's obviously the Spirit of God is on him. He's one of the judges, uh, which is, as we've talked about, one of the, the ranks of, you know, prophethood. Uh, mentioned in the scriptures, he he unfortunately though is led astray by a bad woman, uh, Delilah, and he the spirit of God leaves him, and then it's said that it actually enters back on him in his last moments of life. He asks for God to forgive him, to forgive him, and to give him the strength once more, and the spirit comes back on him just so that he can do one final thing, and then he dies. So there you go. You have another story, which is the story of Samson, and you clearly have uh, this spirit from God, this soul, that enters into Samson. It's it's there in his life. Uh, he disobeys God. Soul leaves. Uh, he's left powerless now. Uh, the, even uh, the Philistines uh, pluck out his eyes and cause him to be blind. And then... Um, he asks God for forgiveness, and that spirit or soul from God enters into him once again. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear that this is what's being described. The soul entering, leaving, uh, and yet, I, f I mean, nobody really talks about it in that sense. There's a lot of language, I think, in, in the Hebrew scriptures of the spirit coming on people, the spirit, com the spirit of God uh, being on people. Um, I know, for example, it's mentioned that uh, God tells Moses that the Spirit is on Joshua, for example, and that's his successor. So it is talking about the soul, right? Yes. So now, and, and, and obviously there's, there's this misunderstanding that some people have where basically they consider um, that they might say, well, uh, what it's actually talking about in the story of Samson or what it's talking about in the story of Saul is the uh, Spirit of God. They're talking about the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. or the Holy Spirit. And that's something different than the, than the soul. I think that's how most Christians and yeah. Jews would understand things yes. to be. Yeah. So uh, they would say that he has a soul, but uh, in addition to that soul, he has a Holy Spirit, which is enforcing him. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea of what is the Holy Spirit, how does it function, how does it work? What's the difference between it and between the soul? This is a topic which we're going to uh, record on its own because it's a very big, mysterious topic. And um, uh, Christians, topic, Muslims, yeah. Jews, uh, they all believe in it, but they all differ a little bit on, on their perception of what, what it is and, and their understanding of, of how it is that it works. Yeah. Okay, so we have the example of, of, of Saul. 
and Samson, nonetheless, there's a spirit that enters into them and exits yes. out of them. Yeah. Whether you want to consider it to be the Holy Ghost or their soul, there's the spirit that's entering and exiting um, during their lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Now let us go to the New Testament for the third and final example of the transmigration of the soul. And I think that it's the most fascinating example of them all. All right, okay. and this is the what really clarifies the idea and proves the 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 notion of transmigration of the soul, and that is the example of Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have Jesus, peace be upon him. His ministry starts at thirty, when he's at the age of thirty. Yes. By the age of thirty-three, having made all of these miracles. Um, He's betrayed by the companion of the House of Funds. He's betrayed by uh, one of his 12 disciples. He's betrayed by one of his uh, apostles, Judas Iscariot, who sells him off for some silver shekels. And he's arrested and he's taken in for judgment. And the Jews choose uh, the criminal instead of him, yeah. and they condemn him, and he's taken, he's tortured, and he's put on the cross, and he, in the apparent, dies, is crucified, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's all of these scenes in the New Testament uh, which describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples now, after having fled their Messiah, uh, having never imagined that he would be arrested and killed, uh, having battled with doubt and disbelief, uh, they are mourning Jesus. And the first person who encounters Jesus after his resurrection is who? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene Alisa. She goes forward and she travels to his tomb. And the Bible says that she looks for Jesus. She finds the tombs open. Yeah. Uh, she's shocked because uh, she can't see that he's there. And then all of a sudden, somebody whispers her name and says, Mary. And she looks. And who is it? She doesn't know who it is. Yeah. She, thinks she doesn't recognize him. She thinks it's the gardener. It's she a... thinks it's the gardener. Yeah. And she's talking to him. And she's talking to him face to face. He says to her, Mary, that she looks at him and she thinks he's the gardener. And then it's only when her brain puts two and two together. Yeah. She's like, how does he know my name? That I'm Mary. How would he know that? Yeah. And then she says, oh, it's my Lord. It's Jesus. Yeah. And so this is a fascinating moment in the Bible. And one of the utmost importance because it really changes the understanding that Christians have of the idea of the resurrection. You saw in the Passion of the Christ, and you know that most people in America and around the world, uh, they believe that the resurrection was not just a spiritual resurrection but was a physical one too yes in the flesh yes right yeah they believed that it was the same body resurrected 
like he had resurrected Lazarus and others. And yet here we find Jesus speaking to Mary from a different body. Yeah. He didn't look the same as, as Jesus. No, unrecognizable. If you had a teacher whom you loved so much and you were following him around every single day for three years and you were learning from him and he grew up in the city that you're from and you just watched him tormented and tortured, beaten and bruised, wouldn't you recognize him, especially if you're going to his grave? Wouldn't you recognize that Jesus was there? Of course. Of course. There is no logical explanation. There is no explanation for these verses other than the fact that it was not that body. So how do Christians explain these verses? I've heard a few different attempts at explaining it. Um, I've heard that this was the perfect light form of Jesus, so it was unrecognizable because it was perfect. Um, and I've also heard people try what to say... What does that mean, that it was perfect? That's something that they don't even fully understand, that it's... But is there anything to back that up, or is that just a theory? That's just what I've heard from, from preachers uh, trying to explain these verses. I've also heard that perhaps he was uh, marred beyond recognition. What does that mean, this perfect life form? That's, is, is the preacher just making up a story? I believe based, so. I believe based so. based on something in scripture? It's not, it's not based on any sort of uh, scriptural basis. So it's, it's just, just the person's a, attempt at making sense of that which doesn't make sense, basically. So did he mean by that, that that Jesus was appearing as light or that he was just appearing as a different human being? That I'm not sure. Okay, so that is a theory that has no basis. Let's throw that away. What's the next attempt that they use? That he's marred beyond recognition from the crucifixion. So he has injuries and such things. But again, this doesn't make sense with her seeing him as an ordinary gardener. And actually, if he had such injuries, it seems like he would have been more recognizable. And you, you'd think that they also would have mentioned it in the verses. Like she wouldn't have said... Um, that she just thought he was the gardener because if you have an extremely like a bleeding, bruised, yeah. extremely marred human being in front it would of be you, strange. you that would. looks like he's halfway uh, dead, halfway alive, then you'd think that she would have been concerned over the health of the gardener, that she would have said, uh, you know, do you need some help? I see you're bleeding everywhere or you're extremely disfigured. Um, yeah. So that doesn't make sense either. It doesn't make sense. And these are the only uh, theories that I've heard put forth uh, by people uh, in the field. So uh, I've heard I, another one. Some people say that, like, uh, you know, maybe Barry was so traumatized uh, by the whole event that when when she saw him, she couldn't believe it at first. So her brain was not able to recognize uh, that that it was him. But the problem with this theory and the other two theories before is that there's no evidence for them and that they come from fallible human beings. Yeah. So it's just the opinion of an individual yeah. and it's not based on anything. But if we just take away all of the opinions and we stick specifically to the scripture, what do we find? We find Jesus uh, is talking to Mary 
Mary's talking to Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. She sees a different human being than the Jesus that she knows. It's a different body. Yeah, completely different. And if this happened one time, then it would be understandable, but it continues to happen again and again. They're walking down a road together, some of his disciples, Mm -hmm. and lo and behold, they encounter uh, Jesus once again. Okay, so you're talking about the two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. There. Exactly. Okay, so two of his disciples, uh, not the twelve, but uh, the part of the larger circle of disciples, uh, are speaking and talking about Jesus and how they're very upset that this happened and uh, and they're believers. You know, they're still believers that that Jesus uh, was who he said he was. And then this other man comes up and joins them and starts talking with them. And they actually spend the whole day together. It says they spend a long time together. They're talking and uh, then they finally come to eat something. They decide that they're gonna eat, they break bread. And then it says the, the veil is lifted from them and they realize that it's Jesus and then he goes away from them. So he, here he is spending the whole day with people who had known him, who had been followers of him, and they don't know that it's him. And there's some sort of veil over their eyes, according to the scripture, and then it's just, they just realize that it's him, suddenly, when they're about to break bread. It's such a strange, strange story. So here again, now it's happening to two other people. Two other people are encountering Jesus. The New Testament is putting its stamp of approval. It's verifying uh, the fact that this was Jesus. It wasn't just like they they think it was and then it's left like that. No, it's saying that it is. It was Jesus. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Jesus now is appearing to them in a different form. Yeah. Not like the Jesus that they knew uh, in his body before the crucifixion. And, and even different to the gardener. It's yeah. another body. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then there's a third incident that takes place. Uh, the fisherman. Yeah. Tell this us that also story. Very, very bizarre. I mean, I, I have, I just, I find these stories so bizarre because if I was a, a Christian theologian or a preacher, somebody learning about the Bible, I would really focus on these stories because I, I would find them unexplainable. Uh, and and I feel like people do not do that, you know. They, it, the strangeness of them was definitely not taught to me or emphasized as a Christian. Um, the third story, uh, where Jesus is a fisherman. So basically, the disciples they they were fishing. They were out fishing, and then from a distance, somebody uh, calls to them, starts talking to them, and some time passes, and he's still talking to them. And then uh, Simon Peter says, "I I think it's Jesus." And uh, so, so again, he's not instantly recognizable. Uh, they're interacting with him for some time, and then they think that it's Jesus. They realize that it's Jesus. So uh, then he, he helps them uh, while they're fishing, and then they understand. They're catching so much fish. Yeah. And then he tells them to cast a net, and uh, it ends up being filled with fish, and they... Uh, then it was like that. That's what dawns upon them after the interaction, after they see the fishermen, after they have conversation with the fishermen. So even now they're hearing the fisherman's voice, and the fisherman's voice is not the same voice of Jesus. Or clearly they would have they would have known. Yeah. It just 
dawns upon them post fact after the after the fact that this person was Jesus. So now you have Jesus in his original form, and you have Jesus appearing on three other occasions: once to Mary, once on the road to Emmaus, and and once to the disciples as they're fishing, which included, by the way. Uh, Simon Peter, yeah. the successor of Jesus, who yeah. couldn't even recognize it. Yeah, exactly. It's very, very bizarre. I mean, it's very bizarre according to what Christianity teaches, you know, the fact that Christianity does not teach that this is the reality of the soul. But so what are these what are these three events basically what is it was it what is it implying it's implying that the resurrection of Jesus was not a physical resurrection it was not a resurrection of the soul and the body but that and this changes everything Tiffany yeah because what it's saying is that yes Jesus resurrected and Jesus came back and Jesus appeared to his disciples uh, and Jesus defeated death in the in the sense of uh, his soul now is free and his soul entered into other bodies but it wasn't a physical uh, resurrection and if we look into some of the Gnostic Gospels and some of, some of the Gnostic texts uh, that were found in Nagah Hammadi and, and, and other places, uh, will find that you have these uh, stories that also are matching the same narrative. Uh, you have the guy who was selling pearls, yeah, right, and who's walking uh, through the city, uh, and, and it's a long story where basically the disciples are going through the city and they don't have uh, Jesus with them. They're in a foreign land. Uh, this is after his crucifixion. And this man is calling forward who wants to buy pearls, who wants to buy pearls. And they go to him and they walk with him and they talk with him and they interact with him. And in the very end, they find out that actually the pearl salesman is, uh, is Jesus. Yeah. And, and we know for a fact that he didn't have the appearance of Jesus because all of them didn't recognize him. But we also know that he didn't resemble the fisherman, nor did he resemble the person at the tomb, nor did he resemble uh, the guy on the road to Emmaus because they would have recognized yeah. uh, the fact that they had seen him before. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's another appearance of Jesus. And then you have in one of the Gnostic Gospels, this idea where Jesus is basically, um, he's, what happens is that it comes time for the crucifixion. And uh, Jesus says, I was laughing at them, thinking that they can shame me, when really the only thing that they can shame is the body, right? And, uh, and he exits out of his body before the crucifixion takes place. And so this particular script, and we're going to go into it um, and, and talk about the source of this narrative uh, more in depth when we talk about uh, in the episode of the crucifixion of Christ uh, in, in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 
but uh, Jesus basically he exits out of his body and then he states that he went from body to body to body to body to body that his soul was transmigrating from person to person to person in order to escape the scene of the crucifixion and the humiliation that was taking place so when you put all of these narratives together you have this this idea of the transmigration of the soul of jesus becoming very very clear and it's also matching the narrative that the quran has about jesus being crucified in the apparent or being made to look like it was the case but it wasn't yes where where you have jesus is arrested his soul exits out of his body it jumps into a person next to him and then it jumps into another person another person then all of these people that he jumped into we're going to discuss this in great detail like i said in yes. the episode about the crucifixion and then he escapes the scene only to continue jumping and migrating into the body of the gardener and the body of the fisherman and the body of the guy on the road and the body of the pearl salesman uh, appearing to the disciples on many occasions and and talking to them yeah i mean when you put all of these stories together, it's just so fascinating because there's clearly much more to the story than what they teach. Uh, and, and the fact that it actually matches with what is written in the Quran, that this very mysterious statement that the crucifixion was only an appearance, uh, that all of these things actually fit together, that Jesus' soul was going from body to body to body to body, and that's actually how it worked. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, it's amazing because nobody has ever been able to reconcile these verses for sure. Nobody has ever been able to explain them in a way that makes sense with this mysterious narrative of the crucifixion. So uh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing what you've revealed. And it also it matches uh, the you know the words of Jesus when he says, you know, I have the power to lay down my life, and nobody can take it from me. Exactly. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, nobody can kill me. I'm the one who has the power to do so. And we find that in this narrative, Jesus does have the power uh, over his soul and has the power to enter um, into different bodies. And uh, yeah. Wow. So let's stop there. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, uh, we've now clarified the concept of transmigration. And uh, inshallah, in the future episodes, we're going to be talking about the crucifixion of Christ, what really happened, and uh, uh, more of, of this mystery will be unveiled. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Thank you so much Thank for everything so much that you've taught me today. God bless you.